Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Hey, whether you're joining us online or you're right here on our campus, I want to say welcome to Sunridge. And if you don't know me, if you're new to Sunridge, my name's Britt. I serve here as the lead pastor. And uh, I'm just stoked that you're here, that you came to visit with us today. And uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're looking for a church or maybe... You've just returned to church, or I don't know what your story is, but I hope that what we do today will help you take your next step toward God. Before uh, we get into the scripture, though, I got to ask you, what do you think? (laughs) Cindy hates it. Uh, I'm convinced that I'm going to break through any time here, you know, so... Hey, you guys probably already know that uh, my favorite book in the Bible is Proverbs, and my favorite passage in Proverbs is chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. I bet a lot of you could quote it with me. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And I can tell you that those words have applied countless times in my life, and they've been a guide in my marriage over the years, the way that I've parented my children, my educational pursuits, my career, the way we handle our finances, and literally in every day, like day-to-day decisions, this passage has affected me. And uh, I have never regretted trusting God with all my heart. I can say that I've had some regrets in those times when I did not. So I always wonder when I, when the Bible has a recurring theme and it just keeps bringing something up, I wonder why there are those passages in the Bible and why they're so often repeated. I mean, why did God find it necessary to have so many human beings over the centuries in different times and places to write about trusting God? I think the reason is that most of us need to be reminded to do that. Because there are times when trusting God and submitting to Him aren't easy. And when we're doing it, sometimes it can be difficult to see that straight path that's supposed to develop when we're doing it. And it's in those moments that I find myself, I don't know about you, but I find it really easy to lean on my own understanding in that moment. Can you relate? As we continue studying the life of Moses today, the big idea that's going to come through in this section of Scripture and this part of his life is the most important time to trust God is when it is the most difficult. Now, I know... You know, we can argue this point. I mean, it's always important to trust God, right? But don't you think it's true that in those moments where it's especially hard 
for whatever reason, whatever the circumstances, where we're, we really want to lean on our own understanding rather than submit to Him. Aren't those really critical times? If you're here today or you're watching online or you're listening later on our podcast, if you're finding it hard to trust God at this point in your life, then what we're going to see in Moses' life is really going to connect with you. Because for him, it doesn't seem like life is working out the way it was supposed to. And maybe some of you, like me, will be able to relate to that kind of uncertainty. And maybe you're even asking, can I even trust God at all? I mean, some of you are here or listening today, and you did dating and your marriage right. You put God first in your relationship. You might have done Bible studies together, and you prayed, and you maintained moral purity. And now, whatever years you are in your relationship, you're battling all the time. You're struggling in that relationship. Some of you are considering divorce. You're going through a divorce and you feel like the whole thing is out of control from you, by you, and um, it's pretty hard to put your trust in the Lord. And it's a lot easier to lean on your own understanding. Some of you have spent your lifetime doing finances the way God wants it done. And maybe you've even taken the Dave Ramsey course. Some of you have even read every episode of Pastor Bob's Financial Bobservations. You've worked hard and you've saved, you've given consistently, and you thought that what that would add up to for you is that you would be blessed financially and you would not struggle. But here you are, scraping money together to buy new tires on your 10-year-old vehicle, and maybe in the recent months, it's been the first time that you were in a grocery store and you had that moment where you had to return something because you really didn't have all the money to cover what was in that cart. And you're, saying, you're asking, trust God with all my heart? I'm not seeing a straight path. Some of you were married to your best friend for 30 years. And you've raised your kids, you've looked forward to the empty nest, to retiring, taking all those trips you talked about that you've saved for your entire life, and spending the rest of your days with that person that you love to be with the most. And your golden years were truly going to be golden. But God took them. And now you're alone. And you're trying to cope without them. And it feels like God abandoned you. And if you're honest, it's a day-to-day -day battle of loneliness and questions. And the idea of trusting him, trusting God and submitting to him is not easy. You know, as I mentioned, we're in this series of the life of Moses. And uh, Moses, too, had done everything that God wanted him to do. He's gone to Midian. He's uh, had the the time to do the hard work on himself, and he's faced his insecurities and his shortcomings and his failures. He hasn't just stepped up. He's stepped way out of his comfort zone now. And remember, he has this spiritual experience. We talked about it a few weeks ago. He has an epiphany. This bush is burning in the desert. It doesn't go out. And it was there that God appears to Moses. 
And he called him to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to tell him to release his people, the Israelites. And God assured him, I'm going to be with you in this. And Moses is ready, and he's willing now. And the people are with him. He's the man. And he's now traveled back to Egypt to obey God's call. And some really weird things happened to him along the way. Thank you, Jed, for such a great job of talking about last week uh, when the Bible gets weirder. And if you didn't know the story, and I often say this, like, I, I love it if you don't know the story of Moses. I don't want you to feel dumb. It's like, I hope that there's people here, you're like, I don't know what's next. Because if you don't, you would think that we're, we're about at the climax of Moses' life. Moses and his brother Aaron, they're confident, they're filled with all the guts two guys can have. They have the boldness that only God can give them. And all they have to do now is to be obedient to God and to do what he asked them to do. So it's going to be simple. Just go and say exactly what God told them to say. And after all, these are God's words, right? So uh, they're doing God's calling the way God said to do it, so it's going to work out. So once they do what God tells them to do, voila, easy peasy, right? They're going to tell Pharaoh what God told them to say, and the Israelites will walk out the door, free people. 400 years of oppression, all behind them. End of story, right? Well, as George just read, they follow through, Exodus 5.1, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go. So they did it. What could go wrong? And Pharaoh, of course, responds, that sounds like a wonderful plan. I mean, if God said it, I believe it, so it must be so. Nope. Here's Pharaoh's response, verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let him go. Pharaoh says, you want to do what? Who is this Lord? I don't know him. Now, God is going to answer that question for Pharaoh. And he's going to actually, he's, he's going to be sorry he asked that question, but for now, this is the start of a really bad day for Moses and Aaron. And remember, in this story, in this moment, Moses is submitting to God's will. He's trusting with all his heart. He's going to say exactly what God told him to say, and Moses is God's chosen person to do it. And he's going to do it the way God told him to do it. But it doesn't take Pharaoh long to process this request. Verse 4 King of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Pharaoh says, I'm a busy man. Get back to work. And you know what I've learned? That kings don't respond well to threats. In fact, Pharaoh says, if you just read through this next section, which we're, I'm just going to tell you about, he says, I'll tell you what, since you have so much time to take a three-day retreat your problem is, you guys are lazy, which is, there's an irony here to call a slave lazy, right? So here's what we're going to do. First of all, I'm going to make your work harder. That's the answer. Now you won't have time to complain anymore. So tell your workers that from now on, they're going to gather their own straw for brick making, but they're going to have the same quota 
of bricks every day. How would you like to take that out to the workforce? Now, there's a note here. I don't know if you catch it when you read through this, but the mandate to deliver this message is given to the Egyptian guards or slave drivers and the foremen who were actually Hebrews. So they were either promoted or they're sellouts. And Pharaoh adds this little maneuver to the process just to keep motivation high. Pharaoh's slave drivers in verse 14 beat the Israelite overseers, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? So did you catch that? The Hebrew overseers are being beaten because the slaves that they oversee are not producing. Pharaoh knows how to motivate people. If I cause them pain, then they won't rebel. They'll cause the pain that I want brought. And for now, Pharaoh's strategy is working. He has the upper hand. And these foremen, they turn on Moses and Aaron in verse 20. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. That Literally, that means they pounced on them. They were like waiting for them. And then when Moses and Aaron show up, they, ju- they like surround them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, they're saying, may the Lord judge you, Moses. You've caused all of this. These people that Moses was seeking to help, they turn on him. So much for trusting the Lord with all your heart. So Moses, God's messenger, whom God promised to be with, who has stepped up into the calling that God has given him in spite of his fears, in spite of his inadequacies, and in spite of the risks, he has now proven himself. He has done it. And now everything is falling apart right before him. So what do, you, what do you do when you've trusted God, you've submitted your ways to Him, and you're not seeing the straight paths that you thought would come to pass? You know, most depictions, as we mentioned before, of Moses is that he's kind of a superhero, but the Bible gives a very different picture of him. He's more just a regular person like you and me. He comes from humble beginnings. He had his share of shortcomings. He struggled with his insecurities. And in spite of all that, he's willing to take that next step with God. So Moses is experiencing what I said at the very beginning, that the most important time to trust God is when it's the most difficult. Look at Moses' response to this tension of how he thought it would be and how it is. Chapter 5, verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord can talk about that in a second, but, but then he asked, why, Lord, have you brought this trouble up on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people, and you've not rescued your people at all. So Moses has two questions here. Why are you bringing harm to these people? I, I don't understand what you're doing, God. And question two, why did you send me? I don't understand what you're doing with me. 
Moses has why questions. Why me? Why now? Why aren't you acting? I thought you understood. I thought when we got to this point, you would be there, Lord. And why aren't you? I won't ask you to raise your hands, but are you familiar with these questions? Do any of them sound familiar to you? They do to me, because I hear Cindy ask them all the time. <laughs> Between that and the mustache, I'm in big trouble now. So. You know, I love Moses' honesty with God here, but Moses is in a faith crisis. He doubts God. He doubts himself, and he's frustrated and hurt by others. So how does all of that apply to you and me? It's great, Britt, that there's a story about Moses 3,500 years ago, and he's having a bad day. It doesn't seem like things are connecting for him. How does this apply to you and me? Moses' crisis of faith stems from three things that I think are like universal. It doesn't matter what century you were born in, people are still having faith crises, and most of them are surrounded these same circumstances and same situations. There are just some circumstances that make it difficult to trust God. One of them has to do with doubting God. When I can't, I, I have a hard time trusting God when I can't sink what I believe about God and what I see. You ever have that? Or it's hard to connect those two? For Moses, God doesn't appear to be fulfilling his, pro, uh, his promise. It's not working out. God told him to go to Pharaoh and to let his people go. And in fact, right now, it looks because he did, uh, it actually got worse for everybody. And Moses is saying, who, who is this God that I believe in? He said he was in this with me, but I don't see him. It looks like things have only gotten worse. And so he says to the Lord, ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Remember, God, this is what this was all about. And I think that there are just times in our lives where it's hard for us to sync up what we've been taught about God, what we believe about God, and what's happening right now. And we ask, who is this God that I believe in? Some of you are sitting here today or listening, and you're like, I, I thought I'd be married by now. Some of you are thinking, I thought I'd be divorced by now. It's taken way longer than I thought it would, and it's been a lot harder. Some of you are saying, you know, I never thought I'd get cancer. Some of you, like, you've raised your kids as the best you could, and they're not just estranged from God, they're estranged from you. There are grandparents here today that I know you don't even get to see your grandchildren. And sometimes we're just like, God, you know, like, I'm living in the world today in this time and place, and like, what I've always believed about you is really putting me in conflict with the world that I'm living in today. <clears throat> and you wonder, can I rely on anything I believed about God? 
and can I rely on him at all? And at this point, people either uproot their faith as they go through this struggle, or they wrestle through it and they sink their roots deeper. So if you're questioning, if you're questioning God right now, I want you to stick with me. Don't take a mental vacation. Stick with me to the end of the message. The second circumstance that makes trusting God difficult has to do with doubting ourselves. It's when I really don't feel up to what I'm facing. Moses, again, it's like, why me, Lord? Why, why am I the guy that has to do this? I told you I don't talk good, and look what's happened. Pharaoh just laughed in my face. So I'm not the guy for this job. I kind of thought I was the man for the moment, but the results aren't coming through. In fact, it's just the opposite, Lord. I feel like a total failure. And I think all of us struggle in the same way, just like Moses did. We, we think we don't just doubt God, we doubt ourselves. And we think, I can't do this, God. Some of you are parents, and you have three under six years old right now. And your life seems like Groundhog's Day, a repeating series of cocoa melon, making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, then cleaning up after them and changing diapers. And that's your life. It just goes round and round, day after day. And you're thinking, I, I can't do this much longer. <clears throat> Some of you are just trying to work in your marriage or be the dad you need to be or the husband you need to be or the wife or the mom. And it's like, the, it's like you just find yourself falling short all the time. And you think, you know, like, I'm supposed to be like this because I'm a Christian mom or a Christian dad. And like, I find this is my reality, and I don't, I don't know that I can do it. And some of you are in a spot in your career right now where it's like, it's challenging. They're working you harder than you've ever had to work before. You're, you know, the hours you're keeping, you're trying to promote, you're trying to take classes, you're trying to get certifications to move ahead. And it's just like, it's a grind. And you really don't even like your job. And so it's just a daily challenge to just show up. Some of you are facing, you've gone through a tragedy, a disappointment with God, a chronic illness, and you're thinking, how am I supposed to like carry what I'm carrying and be joyful and, and be a Christian among my friends and the people that I work with? <clears throat> and some of you, like you sense this calling. God's not asking you to go to the king and say, let my people go, but you feel a sense of like, God wants me involved in this. I see my spiritual gifts this way, and I see that I can contribute to God's work in this way. I can be part of his mission. And you think, well, I got all this other stuff going on, so how in the world can I do this? I don't feel up to it. So if you don't think you're up to what's before you, I want you to stick with me. The third thing that challenges us in our trust with God is when people hurt, hurt us, when people hurt me. And this isn't losing faith in God, but it's losing faith in others. And sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes people lose faith in you. In either way, especially when it's in the church, it's, it's elevated. 
Our disappointments, our expectations are so much higher and our disappointments are so much lower. It seems to hurt more when we're hurt at church. And, and we're less tolerant of that because they should be Christians. They should be, you know, think like I do. You know, maybe, maybe Moses, as he went into this, he could have expected Pharaoh to give him a hard time, to reject him at first. And I know that he, we, we've read like all the insecurities he had about going to Pharaoh and his ability to accomplish the task that God had given him. But I think that Moses was most surprised by his people. I mean, after all, he was sacrificing for them. And he says, Lord, they're just blaming me for all of this. Verse 21, they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses is like, I've sacrificed so much for them. I've been there for you. And this is how I get treated. Can you imagine what it felt like to be Moses in that moment? And can you relate to that today? That we're people. And what's one thing that's true about people? We hurt each other. Sometimes on purpose, but a lot of times not. And I think it's, um, it's good to remember that when there's hurt in a relationship, there's probably hurt on both sides. There's disappointment on both sides. If you think, isn't it understandable that Israelites are frustrated with Moses? It looks like he caused all this. And isn't it, can't you understand how Moses would feel? that he's stepped into this and like the people are, his people are rejecting him. And you know, I think that over the years, I, I think it's worse today. I think people are fleeing church more than ever because they've been hurt and they've been disappointed or they felt the sting of disappoint, disappointing others. Maybe, maybe you've just dared to come back to church. And that's part of your story. If you've been hurt by people or felt abandoned, especially by the church, I want you to stick with me. Don't take a mental vacation. So doubting God, doubting ourselves, and being hurt by others. Would you agree with me that these are the circumstances that most often shake our faith? Anyone? Okay. Me and Patricia. Before we move on, I want you to see that Moses didn't walk away from God. This is shattering his world, but Moses, where did he go with all this? Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord. He went right back to God, and he aired it all out with him. And I want to tell you, if I've, if I've been describing you, you can do that. You don't have to deconvert. You can wrestle with the questions that you have. And you know, for some reason, in, in the, the culture we're living today, it's gotten really popular to kind of claim a, a higher spiritual ground in giving up on faith. It's like there, there are so many voices out there. I'm not saying they're not right about what they're identifying but they're deconstructing and they're deconverting and they're leaving the church. And I'm, I'm not saying the reasons aren't valid, but people are just walking away from their faith. <clears throat> and somehow they grab this higher moral ground in the discussion. 
I think God calls us to wrestle in it and to work through it, to trust him with all of our heart. So what does God do when Moses brings us to him? Instead of criticizing Moses, God reassures him. And I want you to try to personalize these. As I'm kind of getting near the end here, so stick with me. First of all, God says, I'm with you. Then the Lord said to Moses, you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. And here, I mean, we've said this before. Here, once again, Moses is, uh, God is reminding Moses, I'm the same God that has been with you and your people for centuries. I'm still here. I'm still mighty. And I remember my promise. I am with you. The second thing God reassures Moses with, he says, I see, I see you and I hear you. I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving. enslaving. And you know, the temptation, isn't, isn't it true? The temptation in that time, when we're in that, that, appear, that period where it's so difficult to trust God and we're kind of spinning, the temptation is to think in the moment that God doesn't see, that he doesn't hear us. And so God specifically leaves us this to remind us that he sees and he hears. And then lastly, God reassures Moses with four promises. He says, I make four promises to you. And, you know, at the burning bush, God said, I am. And here God says, I will. And he makes four promises to Moses that I think still apply to every one of us today who are Christians. Every one of us that is doubting God, that is uh, doubting ourselves, or we're struggling through the pain and hurt or abandonment by others. And these are the promises that every Christian has. These are the promises of the gospel. And they come in the form of I will statements. They're found in um, chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. The first one is deliverance. Deliverance. Verse 6, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And those phrases, I will bring you out, and I will free you, they literally combine to say, I will pick you up, and I will carry you out. And if you know the story, that's exactly what God is going to do with them. You know, the Apostle Paul gave us this same kind of picture to describe everyday life and to describe sin's power over us, that we are in slavery. Romans 6, 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to do righteousness. When we believe in Christ, we are set free, not just from the penalty of sin, but from the burden to serve sin. And just like God's promise that I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to carry you out of your slavery... Jesus sets us free from the slavery of sin. And God is going to bring the Israelites through, and he will carry us through whatever is before us. The second promise he makes to them is redemption. 
I think redemption is still one of the last best words of all. It's a common theme for me. To redeem means to recover, to rescue, to exchange something horrible for something wonderful. And in in verse 6 of Exodus 6, he continues, and I will redeem you. I won't just carry you out, but I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And here God promises Moses that he's not only going to free the Israelites from slavery, his promise of redemption is this, your best days are ahead of you. He's going to make something completely new of them. We're going to see that. They're going to flourish. They're going to become his people. God is going to claim them as his own, and he's going to demonstrate his presence and his character to the world through them. Paul wrote this same theme in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And the gospel makes this promise to all of us, whatever condition God finds us in, whatever situation we're in, whatever circumstance we find ourselves being placed in, whatever uncertainty that uh, we're standing before, you are a new creation in Christ. And God has promised to redeem that, to redeem us. So if right now, if the life that you've lived or the moment that you're in in your life seems like a waste, like there can be nothing good that might come out of this, I want you to know that God, when, when you said yes to Jesus, God began the redemptive process in your heart and your life to make an entirely new creation out of you. It doesn't matter if it's your body. Our bodies are falling apart. They're giving in to sickness, disease. Maybe parts are just worn out. This arm doesn't even straighten anymore on me. You never noticed that before, did you? I should have never told you that can hide it with my mustache now. (laughs) When our bodies are worn out and filled with disease, the gospel promises that one day these creaky old bodies or creaky young bodies, in some cases, will be made new in heaven. And that's not just like, you know, la-di-da-di-da into the future. God promises the same for the current situation we're in. I mean, we think, well, that's it. It is what it is. No, it's not. God promises he is making something new in us, and it's hard to see. You know, another word for this is restore. Redeem could also be translated restore, and I picture it like an old piece of furniture. And uh, I've restored furniture before. People are cheating today. They like, rather than refinish, they just spray it white, scuff it up. You know, now, now, it's done. It's good. But back in the day, there was the tedious work of putting that uh, stripper on there and like letting it sit and bubble and then like scraping it all off, getting it out of the cracks. It just, it's like the hardest work. We have these old bunk beds that they were old when they were gifted to us when our oldest girls were young. And now, now we still have them. They have to be 50, 60 years old, and I refinished them, so I know what it's like. And they're like classic furniture, of course, bunk beds. 
Sometimes the circumstances that we find ourselves in make us feel worthless. But God's promise of redemption means that we might have to go through the tedious process of God refinishing us. He might have to take off some old stuff. And that's no fun. But we have the promise that God is going to restore us to a whole new creation. The third promise that God makes to Moses is adoption. And to his people, he says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Do you realize that how, that's kind of like Bible talk for us, but like imagine what this feels like if you're an Israelite in Egypt. Under the oppression of the Egyptians, the Israelites are nobodies. They don't count at all. They're slaves. They exist only to build things for Pharaoh. And if they die, so what? If, if they don't perform, they're beaten or killed and nobody cares. They're nothing to the most powerful person in their world. But God says to Moses, you tell them, you will be my people. You may not matter to Pharaoh, but so what? I'm going to prove to you that he's nothing. And I am the Lord. And I am the creator of all. And I am adopting you as my children. And you're going to be loved and adored as a child of God. Paul wrote in Galatians 3.26, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. We've become so familiar with that. But do you realize what it means when God says, you are a child of God? Now, we, none of us had perfect parents. Some of us had horrible family experiences. But God is the perfect parent. And he is saying, I'm never going to reject you. I, even if you doubt me, even if you reject me, I'm holding on to you. Nothing can separate you from my love. And even if you try to distance yourself from him, from me, I'm going to hunt you down as my child. I'm going to be like that prodigal father waiting for you all the time, or the, the father of the prodigal son. There's nothing you can do to get away from my love. And the kicker is, it's not earned. You, you don't have to clean yourself up. God just does it because he loves you. That's the gospel. The gospel means good news. And the good news is that it doesn't matter what you've done. No one is so far from the love of God that God's love can't reach them. That's the good news. You're adopted into his family. And then the last promise God makes to Moses is inheritance. And this goes with being part of the family of God. In verse 8, he says, I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And again, as slaves, the Israelites have no rights. They have no possessions. They have no property that is protected. Anything they have can be confiscated at any time at the whim of an Egyptian. And here God makes a promise to them that he is going to bring them to a land that is theirs. They don't own anything. He is going to reestablish their ownership of that land, and they're going to be able to thrive there. This land was given to their ancestors, and it should have been handed down, but it was stolen, and they will once again have that land 
as a place to call home, and they will be free to thrive in the security that comes from having the autonomy of ownership. Once again, Paul borrows from these same events and promises, uh, and the promises that God makes to the Israelites to describe how the gospel gives back to the believer what was stolen from us by sin. Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So listen to me. If you have put your faith in Christ, whatever difficulty you find yourself in, you have this promise from God through the gospel. You belong to God. You are his child, and as a child of God, you have everything, everything your heavenly Father has made available to you. I'm going to ask the band to come up now, and I want to say, if while they're coming up, if right now you're doubting God or your ability to, to get through what is before you or you're experiencing hurt, you've been hurt by the people you love and no one can hurt you like the people that you love, Right? And you're thinking, well, maybe God isn't who he said he is. Maybe I'm not going to be able to stand up to what is happening. Or you just want to run and hide from people forever so that you never have this feeling again. Look at what God has promised you as his child. He will deliver you. He's, brought you, he's going to bring you out. Just like the, the Israelites, he's going to bring them out of Egypt and head them toward their land. He's going to redeem them. And all the bad stuff, is going to, they're going to be restored to his family they're, because they're going to be adopted as his children. And because they're his children, they are heirs. They have the inheritance of their father. Can you relate to that, Christian? Look at what God has promised us through the gospel. Trust him. Trust him and follow his ways, even if it's difficult. I often like to do this in points like this in the story, but like, what if Moses didn't? I always like to flip it around. It's like, what if he didn't follow through? What if he didn't take the next step? He doubted himself and he doubted God and and he, he let all the hurts pile up against him, and he just walked away. What would the story be? You know, I think that's happening today. But we're going to see Moses stand alone, and because of that, he's going to stand out, not because he's a superhero, but because God's prepared him for this. And he knows that he's imperfect, but his heavenly Father is perfect, and he's going to take all of his insecurities and his hang-ups, and he's going to let God handle those and he's going to be the man of the moment and do you know why it's going to be because he is going to trust in the lord with all his heart and lean not to his own understanding in all his ways he's going to submit to god and he's going to see god make his paths straight he is learning that obedience to god doesn't mean everything is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything's going to get wrapped up in a nice, neat little bow. There's a lot of struggle, but he has the assurance through that that God is with him, that God sees him, and he hears him. After all, 
He's his child. And next week, we're going to see God start to act just how he does that. You know, it's with that thought of what God has done for those of us who claim the name of Christ that, you know, every third Sunday we stop and we take communion. And what a great place to do that. What a great thought to go from into communion. I'm going to have Jed lead us through that, okay? Thank you, Sunday. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.